You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope that this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. So last week, uh, I, I start out. I said I was going to do something in, in one week, and I have 12 points, and I got through two points. And uh, so I do believe I'll finish it this week because my introduction to it was longer than anticipated. Uh, but I started talking about something uh, that I'd never really been quite this specific before, but the Lord began to minister to me about how to, how to bring some definition around who we are, but really bring alive the, the New Testament church, the, the first church, when you read about it in the book of Acts, and to really be able to capitalize on what that church uh, looked like. And, and I believe one of the ways that we could describe it is that they were an apostolic people. And so I started sharing on this last week, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue, and uh, I'll do a little bit of review, but then I'm going to go right back into the different attributes of what an apostolic people or an apostolic church looks like. And the reason I believe that this is so important is, first of all, uh, we have a culture in, in this church. And Liz and I carry certain things in our hearts. And we uh, some of these things, all of these things, describe things that God has put in us. But I believe you can also look at the New Testament church, and you're going to be able to see that these were characteristics, these were values, these were things that they carried, they were attributes that were there in the early day church. And I just believe that there's been much lost in translation over the years. And, you know, I, I think probably most everybody that I've ever met that uh, knows anything about the Bible believes that the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost. That's my personal persuasion is that that's when the church first originated. But certainly it was birthed at some point. And whenever, the, whenever something is, is um, first at birth, it is the purest, and we can understand that just with people. I mean, there's nothing like a, a fresh uh, newborn baby. You know, women will smell them and things like that. I mean, just everything about them is just pure. There's no, there's no problems there. You know, if, if everything, you know, comes out okay, but I, I'm just saying something about that innocence that's there, and whenever things are first born is when they're at the purest, and we were talking about this recently, like everything in the animal kingdom is when it first comes out, it's adorable. I mean, it's just like, oh, it's, it's, it's perfect. Liz and I went to the zoo w- without kids, which was kind of strange, but we're like, you know what? Every time we go to the zoo, we like to sit and look and read. And uh, Liz even, it was a, what was it? What kind of snake was that? It was a cobra. Caspian cobra was going like this on the glass, and the snake was found. She's a snake charmer, by the way. Um, so uh, anyway, so whatever. Anyways, we, we enjoyed ourselves at the zoo. But we got to go to see some of the displays. We saw that there was a, a baby jaguar, I think. There was a baby jaguar, and there was a, there was a baby chimpanzee, and, you know, whatever, a few other ones. And, the, you know, the older ones, well, I don't know, the big cats are pretty cool looking, but the chimpanzees, to me, those are ugly. All the monkey-type things are really ugly when they get older, but when they're babies, they're, they're cute. And even, like, uh, a few uh, weeks ago or whatever, we bought some um, chicks I don't know how this happened for somebody else's birthday, kid's birthday. So I, hopefully they'll still be our friends after that. But we, 
We bought them some chicks, and you know, they were just, they were so cute. But to me, chickens are, they're ugly. You know, that just gets older, and they, they just don't look as good. And so my point with this is that when something is first birthed, it really is at its purest form. And I believe it's the exact same way for the church. That when the church was first birthed, it was at its purest form. And Jesus gave gifts unto men. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says that he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. And I believe that Jesus was all of those things. You can go and look and see that Jesus was the full, he was the full deal. But now he's not made any one particular person the full deal. That's why he gave gifts to different men to operate with, within those things, to, to take essentially a part of who Jesus is and function in that level. And so the deal is, is that pastors bring pastoral anointing. And, and I'm of the opinion because uh, I've just, I've, I've been around long enough and I've, I've seen it and I've seen it in operation that all of these gifts are still functioning today. It's just that the church within the, the, the westernized especially, but just in the church culture, um, it's lost the understanding, the, the, the biblical uh, flair and push and emphasis of what the Bible would teach about these things. And so we label pastors, or a lot of ministers just as pastors, when a lot of times they're evangelists. And they'll get this label as a pastor, and they go and they shepherd a flock. Of, but have you ever seen a, a pastor that was really evangelist that was pastoring a group of people? It was like, I mean... Everything was about winning souls, and I agree we need to win souls, but we're also supposed to take care of people, amen? And so there's all these gifts that are there for the purpose of equipping the saints. And so I believe this, that inside of every person is a little pastor, is a little teacher, is a little evangelist, is a little prophet, and is a little apostle. And it's like that five-fold ministry makes that, makes that come alive. And so I think that there could be less emphasis on the importance of the gift, and maybe more emphasis on the importance of what that gift illuminates inside of people. Because you have the Spirit of God living on the inside of you. You are a child of God. You have all of the benefits and the attributes of Jesus on the inside of you. And the reason we know that is because he's come to dwell on the inside of us, and he didn't lose any of his attributes when he came. Another way you could say it is ask the question, which one, of the, which one of the attributes of the Holy Spirit, when he made his residence on the inside of you, did he leave out whenever he came to dwell inside of you? None. He's, he's got the full stuff. He's the full package. He's the full deal. And he came to live on the inside of you, which means that everything that God is, is on the inside of you. And a lot of it is just about having those areas awakened inside of us so that we can do the thing that God has called us to do. And I believe one of the things that's been really maybe misunderstood, it's been misapplied, it's been uh, abused, or it's been completely neglected altogether, which is true for most cases, is the idea of apostolic ministry. And so I'm going to get to a little bit more of that tonight. And so pastors bring about a, like a pastoral revelation, a pastoral anointing, a pastoral culture. And we must, we must have that, but it's not the only thing. In fact, it's sad when that is the only thing. Because if that's the only thing that's happening inside of a church, you're missing what those other four attributes are there for, those other four giftings can bring. So pastors bring a pastoral uh, ministry. Teachers bring uh, teaching ministry or revelation. Evangelists bring an evangelistic ministry. Prophets bring prophetic ministry. And apostles bring apostolic ministry. And you could go to most 
most any common believer, and you could say, tell me, what, tell me what a pastor does. Tell me from the Bible, tell me what a pastor does. And they could tell you. They give you, at least give you some idea, even if it wasn't chapter and verse, and give you some idea. Same thing with a teacher. Tell me what, what does a teacher do? What does a teacher uh, cause to happen inside of people? What does that look like? They could tell you. Same with evangelists. The same with the prophet. But when it comes to an, an apostle or apostolic ministry, if you were to say to somebody, tell me, what does an apostolic ministry do? What does an, apostol- what does an apostle bring to a group of people? Most people couldn't tell you. You know why? It's because we have, and I believe it's the enemy. I really, truly believe it's the enemy that he has caused the church to become blinded to things that are the answer to the world's problem. And I don't think that apostles are the answer to the world's problem, but I think that apostolic ministry is one of the answers to the church's problem, which in turn is the answer to the world's problem. And so this is something that has to be understood. Now, I've um, given these uh, numbers before, and I, d- I didn't give them exact, but I was, I was close, and I said I, I didn't remember the exact uh, thing, but I'm going to give you the exact numbers now. And this helps to put things into perspective just a little bit. But the word that we use for uh, pastor is the Greek word poimen. And that Greek word poimen is in the New Testament, uh, excuse me, just in the Bible in general, 18 times. So that would be the New Testament because this is the Greek word poimen. And it's, it's translated shepherd 15 times uh, with a little s and then shepherd with the big S, the capital S, two times and then pastor one time, one time. Now, the Greek word for, uh, that we use for apostle is the word apostolos, and it's translated apostle 78 times, messenger two times, and then the phrase, he that is sent one time. And you say, well, what's your point with this? My point is, is that God gave uh, these gifts for a reason. And he gave them titles for a reason because titles are not about identity. They're about function. Titles are supposed to represent what that person is doing. So for me, when people call me Pastor Kent or whatever, it's not about like puffing me up like, well, I'm the pastor around here. That's not it. I mean, I'll tell people that. You know, like, oh, yeah, I'm the pastor here or whatever, just so that they're able to identify how I am in relation to the church. But it's not about me having some kind of identity. Uh, it's really about so that people can see the, the function. And so when we look at these five gifts here, we have to understand that they're there for function purposes. It's to identify what they were doing. And there's nothing wrong with saying what it is that you are. And I function as a pastor. I really am called as an apostle. That's what the Lord has ultimately called me to do. And, and I'm stepping into that more and more as I get older. And that's fine. I'm not worried about any of that stuff. When I shared this years ago with the church in Perryville, I, people were like, they, I mean, they, it was like they thought, not everybody, but a few of them thought that I was, I was looking to uh, climb the, the corporate ladder of the church or something. And I was like, guys, I'm already at the top. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I can't go any higher in the church. I'm already the senior leader. I'm trying to bring definition around what this thing looks like that God's called us to do. 
Because if you, you see, because sometimes people come in and they think, Pastor, oh, he's this, just this gentle and he's just so loving and he's so caring. And then they listen to me speak and they're like, this guy's a little uh, wild and, you know, whatever. It's because I got different things running through my veins than maybe what somebody that operates in a strong pastoral anointing would have running through their veins. And I don't apologize for that. I celebrate what God's done in me and you should celebrate what God's done and is doing in you. Amen. So the idea of understanding these things is, is really, and again, the Bible is right. The Bible is true. The Bible has the answers. And so if, if we're looking at what's happening in the church culture as a whole, and I've asked this question many times to people, do you believe the church is winning the battle in the world? And every honest believer I've ever met says, no, no, we're, we're losing the battle in our culture. We're losing the young people. The church is becoming less and less relevant in this world all the time. So at the very least, even if I was wrong about all of this, which I'm not, but even if I was, and I'm not because I got scripture to back it up, um, it's worth just changing things up. It's worth starting to look at doing some things a little bit different because, again, if we're losing, we need to come up with a different game plan to make things uh, look different and begin to happen differently. And so what does an apostolic people look like? And I'm going to get into this, but let me say this before I get into it a little bit more, that what apostles do or what an apostolic people does is they bring two things. I'll say that they bring more than two things. An apostolic anointing brings more than two things, but I'm going to give you two main things. And it is a, a support and covering, or you could say it's foundation and the roof. And so for a lot of years, the foundation of the church has been shaken. It's continuing to be shaken to this very day. The church doesn't know who she is. It doesn't know. She doesn't know. However you want to say he or she or it doesn't know, even many, in many places, what really is the plumb line for truth, which is the word of God. I'm telling you, Christians all over are so confused about this. And I believe that one of the reasons why is there hasn't been the, the resolute uh, apostolic ministry in the church that's caused that foundation to be there. And the Bible says, and if we can pull this up, and I'm going to show you this a little bit more from the Word to bring some scriptural precedent for this. Psalm 11 and verse 3. Let me show you this real quick, and then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But Psalm 11 and 3, it says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And so when you talk about foundations, and you talk about foundations in the church, I think a lot of it is, you know, what we believe. And again, what's our, what's our, our, our source and, and our plumb line for what is really true, because there's things that are that have been honestly for centuries, for two millennium, that the church um, has been relatively straight on. It's things like uh, homosexual marriage is not of God, and the Bible's very very plain about that. But now you have people. That And I would never mention their names, and I love them and bless them, but I've seen well-known ministers be on TV and be questioned to say, what do you think about homosexual marriage? And their answer is, well, you know, I just, I can't speak for anybody else, and I just, I don't know about that. And they're, they're, these are uh, leaders of the Christian faith and the nation, and they can't give a straight answer on what God says about homosexuality. You know why? The foundations have been shaken. And I think the foundations of what's right and wrong have been shaken. But I think if you go below that, it's because the governmental structure of the church has been shaken. It's been totally, it's been totally lost. 
You, the only time you ever hear about um, usually any kind of prophetic ministry, it's usually like, oh, I, was, I heard this prophet or I saw this prophet or I, these people were prophetic and they gave me a bad word and they, the, the prophet was calling people out and calling sin out and he was shaming people. Like you hear stuff like that. And no wonder people don't want to have anything to do with prophetic ministry. I wouldn't want to have anything to do with prophetic ministry like that either. But then when it comes to apostolic ministry, it's usually just like, and I'm not here to criticize, but it's like the first apostolic church of blah, blah, blah. And it's by title only, but there's not necessarily any revelation of what an apostolic people is or what an apostle does. And I even saw one very, very well-known minister, and I don't, I'm just, I'm just saying that this is bigger than just in my mind. That's the only reason I say that. (laughs) Very well-known minister that he went from being a teacher to an an apostle. And I don't know how they came to this conclusion, whatever, but they did this whole knighting ceremony where they walked him down the aisle and they had all these robes and they took swords and they knighted him. And, And if I said who this guy was, half of you in here would know who I'm talking about. And you haven't heard of him probably in a lot of years, and it's probably for this reason. And the, the point that they, were, that they were making, the emphasis that was there, even if it wasn't said, there was an undertone of exalting a man. The only reason that Paul said in, in nearly every one of his greetings in the letters that he wrote, he identified himself as an apostle. It's interesting, though, that he said he didn't say apostle Paul. He said Paul the apostle. And I think it's because he didn't have his identity and his function confused. He knew that he was Paul, born again, redeemed by God, loved by God. He was the son of God, right? But then his function was to be an apostle. So he wasn't afraid to say what God called him to, but he didn't say a pastor. Because see, sometimes people just think, oh, well, yeah, he was, they, they were apostles back then, but we go by pastor now. No, 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 no. Jesus gave In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, it says that he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Why did he list all those? Because there's a difference in all of those. So Paul said that that he was an apostle, but he wasn't saying it to elevate himself. He was saying it to establish his authority in their life that he had a right and was responsible to lay a foundation, and he also offered covering for them. And the, the meat of the church, it's really not about apostles. It's really not about the fivefold ministry at all. It's really about the people. And when you, look at a, when you look at a house, I mean, honestly, only the inspector cares about the roof and, and the foundation. I mean, I mean, if you're buying a house, yeah, you want that to be in good shape, right? But, and you look at the, the, whatever, the colors on the walls and how many rooms it has and the, the siding on the house and how big the lot is. Those are the kind of things that you, that you really care about when you're buying a house. But if those other things aren't there and they're not in place, then that house might, might look good on the outside, but it's going to have some problems to it. And so I really believe the fivefold ministry, in particular the apostle and the apostolic ministry, brings foundation to the church and it also brings covering to the church. You can see the covering aspect with Paul that they came underneath of the, the if you will, the, the, the jurisdiction or the authority that he had. And because of that, he was able to write letters to them and not only bring them correction, but encourage them and strengthen them. He sent people to them. He sent Timothy to them. He sent 
uh, whatever, these different guys that were there with him and would sin and help and minister to them and, all, and care for them, those kind of things. And that's what an apostolic ministry does. It will bring covering. It will bring support. Not like this to hammer down, but to cover and shield from all of the negative and nasty stuff of the world. That's what good covering does. But a good foundation is that regardless of the winds and the, way, uh, the rain and the storm and whatever is happening, that house isn't going to move because it's built on something solid. Amen. It's, see, it's, it's not unusual for the world to say that homosexuality is okay. They've been saying that for a really, really long time. Sodom and Gomorrah was thousands of years ago. That's not unusual for the world. It is unusual for the church to come to this place where we go, oh, actually, you know, we're okay with that. We want to love everybody. And they mix this stuff. Yeah, we want to love people. I mean, we've had times when we've had homosexuals come in the church and we gave them food. We blessed them. We helped them. We prayed for them. We didn't condone it. And I didn't get up from the pulpit and say, no, no, no. We just want to make sure everybody knows that we're okay with their lifestyle. Like, I didn't do that kind of stuff. No, you don't do that. You have to draw a straight line so that people know where the leadership is at on these issues. You can't, you can't, you can't waver on these things. Because if the heads of the house, if the leaders of the house waver on things, then the rest of the people, well, that's just how it goes. Where the shepherd goes, the sheep are going to go. And so the foundations have been really, really messed up for a while, and they need to be restored. Are you guys still with me? This is a long introduction. All right, so let's look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and in verse 10. And Paul says this. He says, according to the grace of God, and I believe when he says according to the grace of God that was given to me, I think you could look at this two ways. One is you could look at the gospel. And in Galatians chapter 1, he uses the, the word grace and gospel there, and he uses them interchangeably. So when I read about the grace of God, in my mind, I automatically go towards it, it meaning the gospel, what, what Jesus did, the nearly too good to be true news, right? And so uh, you could look at it that way, but you could also look at it as being his gift, his function, his ministry to them was a grace gift because everything that comes to us from the Lord, it is a gift from the Lord, right? And so I think there's one of those, one or two of those ways you could look at it. But I think in context, what he's talking about here is his apostolic gift. And he says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. And so here you could see here that, that Paul the Apostle talked about that as a, uh, by the grace of God given to him as a wise master builder, he laid the foundation. And so all I'm doing with saying all this right now is, is to give some, some credence and to some proof and to just bring some illumination to our understanding that we have to have apostles and apostolic ministry. But it's got to be done right. It's got to be in the church right. As soon as somebody tries to elevate themselves as being something, they've completely lost the whole idea of what it's about. They're, they're unfortunately, and it's just so sad, there are so many people that go into ministry to try to um, find their identity. If you're trying to find identity in ministry to fill a void in your life, that's a really, really difficult battle because you're going to find as many people that don't like you as that do like you. <laughs> and, it, and trust me, it's easy to look at the people that don't like you. It's easier to look at the people that don't like you than the ones that do. And so that's why, you know, Liz and I just are, are in a habit of at least once a week 
we just, and I can't say we're super strategic, but we're always thanking God for the ones that he's placed around us. Um, we don't deserve you guys, but we're really, really thankful that God has placed you in our life, and we just, um, we just focus on that and not all the ones that maybe don't like us so much, but we pray for them, amen? And so praise God. But um, so I want to get into this and jump into this for a few minutes. Um, I'm not going to finish tonight. Um, it would be it would be a miracle, and I believe in miracles, but not that much. Um, so, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so let me do this. So I, I got through the first two uh, the first two attributes, and you know when, when you're when you're kind of bringing about an understanding, I really believe in in line upon line teaching, and I I do it the best that I can. Um, but things have to build, and so you have to continue to have your your mind open to to new ideas. And when I say new ideas, it's new ideas from the Word. The word apostle or apostles is not, that's not new. That's, that's in the Word. I could go to more Scripture verse. As a matter of fact, let's go to one more verse just for the sake of it. And let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. And I think it's going to be around, it's at the very end of Ephesians chapter 2, uh, around verse, I don't know, 20, somewhere around there. Let's go to Ephesians 2 and 19, and then let's read to the end of the chapter. If my memory serves me correct, hopefully there's not 40 verses there. There's not. It says, uh, uh, let's go to the next verse, verse 20. Okay, go back to verse 19. Let's start there. It says, now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and, for, uh, and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the pastors and the evangelists. No, it says apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Let's go to the next verse. In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Is there verse 22? I don't remember. Yeah. In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. There's a lot we could say about all that. But notice, go back in verse 20, and let's look at that one more time. It says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That's there for a reason. All Scripture is there for a particular reason. If you find something in the Scripture that is either being attacked or is being neglected, it's probably because the enemy has worked overtime to omit it from the church because there's that much value in it. We could go through a list of about five or six things that have been, I mean, the church has, has as a whole has had to struggle to keep alive because People that maybe just don't know better and, and maybe even some religion or whatever has really come against it, such as the gifts of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues, different things like that, all, all biblically sound deals, doctrines, things that are going on in there. And it's the same thing with prophetic and apostolic ministry. And so what happens, sometimes you can be, and I've been in places, I can remember being in places in my own life and being physically being in places to where I heard somebody mention something and it was like I shriveled up on the inside and became hardened. Like, I don't want to hear about that. One of those things was about prophetic ministry. And years ago, uh, I was reading and I uh, forget it's first or second Thessalonians and it says, this, um, do not despise prophecies. And I was reading that one day and the Lord said, you do that. And I said, well, I, said, well, I don't want to do that. And he said, you need, you need to repent. And so I repented of that. And then it was within that year for sure, that we had all this prophetic ministry and dreams and all the stuff that began to unfold that brought tremendous healing to our church. And if I had shut that down, and the reason I didn't like prophetic ministry 
was because I'd had really bad experiences with it. I mean, not, not as bad as some people. I've heard some people's stories, and I'm like, man, you're, you got some serious battle wounds there. But I've been in, just involved with some really flaky stuff, and it made me throw out the baby with the bathwater, which is a horrible analogy. But, you know, sometimes we do that with things. And we can almost make vows inside of our heart, not even thinking about it, make vows like, yeah, I'm not going to have anything to do with that. Because the circumstances surrounding that thing were strange or out of order or weird or they were doing uh, extra and unbiblical things around the thing that actually was biblical and right and of God. So we have to use discernment and be able to see things that are in the Word and say, no, no, this is good. Maybe what they did was a little flaky or maybe what I did was a little flaky because I didn't know what I was doing at the time. But I'm going to take what God says and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe it and then I'm going to grow in that very thing. Can I get a big amen? All right, so here's number one attribute of an apostolic people. And I, I went through the first two, but I'm going to mention them. I'm going to at least get through two more before we close up shop for tonight. Um, I need a drink of water. Can you open that up for me? Gracias, Senor. What's Donata mean? Thank you. I mean, you're welcome, yeah. Gracias, thank you. I said that. It's all the Spanish I know. Okay. Um, All right, here's attribute number one, is that an apostolic people keeps covenant as paramount. It keeps covenant as paramount. And you can see all the way in the day of Pentecost, so pure. It says that they were all in one accord in one place. Isn't that a lovely idea? One accord in one place. So we have to remember that we aren't here because we, we agree. We're here because we're family. We're here because we've come together under the name of Jesus. And if and I've said that, I said this last week, I'm going to say it again because it bears repeating. If you come together because you agree on something, what you disagree on will be the thing that separates you. And I understand there can be disagreements that become so severe. Uh, what was it Paul and Silas had? It was Paul and Silas, right, that had the, the huge disagreement. Is that right? Huh? Barnabas. Let's go with Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas, they had the disagreement and they had to So I, I get that. I understand that. But the idea of, of covenant and covenantal unity, it should be flowing through our veins. We should, whenever there's a disagreement with another brother or sister in the Lord, you should be looking for every opportunity, every avenue to make that thing right. Sometimes you just can't. Sometimes you can't. But, you know, sometimes you can't and you still function together as well as you can until God's able to bring healing. But most of the time when people have um, a problem, they cut and run. It's just what, that's just what people do. And I believe this goes back to something that's inside of apostles is bringing people together, gathering people together, and having a strong sense of unity. It's missing, it's missing from the church. I mean, people like, they try out churches like a pair of shoes. You know, and I'm not saying that, you know, if you're, if you're looking for a church or whatever, you have to just go until you find, that's fine. But, you know, sometimes they'll go somewhere and it's like, well, this is a little uncomfortable for me. That's what we get a lot because growers make non-growers uncomfortable. It's just like one, become one of our sayings. It's like, what happened to them? Well, they were forced to either grow or not, and so they decided not to. So they disappeared. And we're not laughing at that, but we just try to stay lighthearted because you're either going to laugh or cry about it because you get real attached to people, and you love them, and you try to figure out why they leave. And then you realize that they just don't want to grow because it's just how some people are. And so anyways, you know, you do what you do. But um, anyways, 
So the idea of being really strong, covenantly speaking, not in a weird way, but the kind of thing to where when you were bound to somebody by the blood of Jesus, you wouldn't dare let anything come between you and them. I understand seasons can change. God will call people other places. I'm a big fan of sending people. Uh, I like to send people weekly. After tonight, you're officially sent back out into the workforce, in the school, your home, wherever you go, to take the gospel everywhere you go. Then come back next week, and then I'm going to send you out again. Amen? Uh, some people have to get sent into different locations and places and whatever, and I'm fine with that. Seasons can change. But what have, people should never, the Lord told me this years ago. I was in a situation, and I had some people really coming against me many years ago. And I, I, I wanted to beat them up is what I wanted to do. And I knew I couldn't do that and, and uh, keep a good reputation. So I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't want to do that. Even though I really wanted to, I decided not to. Um, but, but then I thought, well, I'm just going to leave. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, don't ever leave a church offended. Because if you do, you've left wrong. So in that situation, Liz and I went, we made our hearts right. We made it right with the people the very best we could. They were knuckleheads, and they didn't really want to make it right with us, and so we couldn't do a whole lot more with it. But we left there, and nobody knew what took place. We didn't take one person with us. We didn't make a stink about anything, and we could have. We could have destroyed that whole thing, and we said, we're not doing it because we value unity. And we needed to go. There was God was calling us to do some different things, and so we had to obey the Lord. But we didn't leave with blood on our hands. We didn't leave and, and have disunity and things going on. Look here, and let's go pull this verse up. And I'm actually, this is all still review. Um, John chapter 17. Is this okay if I just go through this slow? Thank you for those amens. Uh, is this okay if I go through this slow? I need a little more. Thank you. Okay, John chapter 17. Let's go to verse 20. We're going to read verse 20 and 21. It says, now this is Jesus. He's praying this here. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those in me through their word, Verse 21, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. A contingency for the world believing in Jesus and that Jesus was sent by God is the church being one with each other. Unity is paramount, and an apostolic people keeps covenant. See, covenant is more than, than just unity. It's more than just the idea of what we might think about unity being. Because you can, you can be, I'll say it's more, than, it's more than agreement, because you can agree with somebody, and I know I've said these things before, but we just, it's good to hear them again. You can be in agreement with somebody and not really be in covenant with them. But you can be in covenant with someone and not really be in agreement with them. I've had people before around me that they would say things, and I thought, I don't agree with that one bit. And sometimes I've even thought, that's got to be the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And you've probably said that about me before. Like, I can't even believe you said that. But because we have covenant with one another, the agreement doesn't matter. It says, how can any two walk together unless they be agreed? But that idea of agreement goes beyond just like, you know, well, you know, you think that chair's great. I think that chair's great. Good, we both agree. You know, it goes, it's not, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about like almost like a marriage, like a, like a binding, like you're bound together. And because of that type of agreement, because of that type of thing, which is really covenant, there's not anything that's going to come between you. 
only the Lord would be allowed to separate that thing because there's things that he's got those two people called to do in different places, and that would be the only amount of separation that I'd ever be there. We're supposed to be one together. Hallelujah. So much I could say about that. All right, here's number two. I at least want to get into to one more beyond where I was. So here's number two. Uh, an apostolic people pursues unity while celebrating diversity. They pursue unity while celebrating diversity. And that just simply means that, you know, the Lord, he's not looking for people to, to have uh, uniformity. Uh, he's looking for people to be very different and vast. And I love the vastness of people, the vastness. Katie mentioned about the body. Aren't you so glad that the foot has a different job than the eye and the ear has a different job than the nose and the toes have a different job than the fingers? Amen. And so we celebrate diversity, but we pursue unity. That's what an apostolic people does. All right, here's number three. And I'm going to have to quit with this tonight and we're going to pick up um, next week. But here's number three. Is that an apostolic people live in the realm of faith for the impossible. They don't visit there. They live in the realm of faith for the impossible. And you can see this very strongly when you, when you read in Acts and you see what kind of uh, men they were, what kind of people they were. And if you take Peter, for example, Peter, I love, I love, Peter's one of my favorite people in the Bible because I can relate to Peter. I think most people can relate to Peter. You know, because you have these, these weaknesses these weaknesses and these issues, they get totally covered over by the grace and the love of God. And then God uses you in spite of you, not because of you. And when you look at, when you look at Peter, you know, before the day of Pentecost, you know, he just didn't have a lot going for him other than he did stay true to Jesus. Uh, but then after the day of Pentecost, and here you have this church that was birthed, and what was this church like? I believe our language is descriptive, and it's right to call them an apostolic people. And so here you had these men that went out, and so you had, you had Peter that was uh, afraid to tell people about Jesus, and then he stood right in front in the midst of the very people that crucified Jesus when they said, don't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And he said, you're the ones that did this to him, and we're going to preach Jesus whether you like it or not. And that's Kent's version of it, but that's basically what Peter said. And then he was the same guy. Was it Peter and John, right, that went to the gate beautiful? Oh, my gosh. I mean, they had, those guys had a revelation about something because they went. And the man was there. And he said, you know, he was, he was wanting some money. And they said, silver and gold have I none, which wasn't, they weren't saying that they were poor. It was that they left their wallets at home. I heard that one time, and I thought, I'm going to use that. That's really good. I've used it a few times. They had money. They just that's, they didn't have it on them. But anyways, um, they said, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, I give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man immediately jumped up. He jumped up in his feet and ankle bones received strength, right? And he went walking and leaping and praising God. And so how, how, do, you do, how do you do that? I mean, I've envisioned myself doing that. I've, I've had dreams of that. But, but just let's just ask the question, how do you do that? And I believe that they carried more than, I don't think it was just a, and I, and I think that this has been a ploy of the enemy to say, oh, well, that was the Lord using them in those specific times and those specific reasons, and we'll never know what the Lord was doing during those times. For there he uses us dust and sunder, and then people start quoting King James to sound all smart, when really they don't have any cotton-picking clue what they're talking about. 
Because the same Holy Ghost that was in Peter is in the same Holy Ghost that's in me now and is in you now. And we have the same ability through Christ to take miracles and we should have faith for the supernatural everywhere we go. That the lame can walk, that the blind can see, that the deaf can hear, that the dead will be raised. That many signs and wonders will be done and continue to be done through us. Through us. And so we go, how do we do that? I don't have every answer. I mean, I could sit and teach you about faith. I could teach you about healing. You guys could teach me about all that stuff. And sometimes people become uh, a little bit um, almost accustomed to, we believe this, but we don't usually see it. But we're not going to say we don't usually see it because we don't want to say anything opposite of what we're believing for. So we're just not going to say that we don't ever see it or we don't see it very much. And we're going to say this is what we believe. And it's really code for we believe this way. And it's a doctrinal statement. But we really don't expect anything beyond what we believe. Does this sound familiar to anybody in here? Come on now. This is how this is. We, and then we develop weird culture to where we don't ask the Lord questions. You're not supposed to question the Lord. But you are supposed to ask him questions. Lord, why did that happen? You see, at the, at the cornerstone of what we believe is that God is good. If you believe God's good, then it throws out, well, maybe he, maybe he wanted so-and-so to die. Maybe he wanted this and that. And, what, and I love Donna. At the, at the funeral, she was so bold. She said, she said, I don't believe that the Lord wanted Mike to go like this or at, at this time. And she was spot on. Mike was, Mike was 74 and uh, he wasn't supposed to go like that. That's nonsense. That guy had plenty of years left. And he, but, you know, he went, but we shouldn't go, God, why? Why did you? No, we should go, God, we don't understand some things here. But what we're not going to do is let go of what we know to be true about you, about your word, and what you've called us to. I love, um, and I'll just finish with this, with this story. Um, I, I, Liz and I have really, and a lot of you have, have as well, um, been drawing from uh, Bill Johnson's ministry and from Bethel, and they've just become a, been integrated into some things that have really helped us have good perspective. And you know, his wife, I mean, Bill's seen more miracles than probably anybody alive, maybe. I don't know. I mean, tremendous testimonies, tremendous. And, uh, and don't believe everything you hear on YouTube or on whatever about, I mean, people, who, who's got time to go on? and make Facebook posts, and make these YouTube videos, and have an entire website. There's an entire website devoted to uh, Andrew Womack is the most dangerous man in the whole world. I'm like, who, for A, that's stupid, but B, who has time to do that? You know, I mean, it's just craziness. If you believe that, fine, whatever, but, you know, but anyway, so, so Bill just, uh, was it probably a month ago, six weeks ago, lost his wife, and so here you have you have a man that's seen these incredible things. And Benny was only late 60s, something like that. I don't know how old she was. She was, she was too young to die. That's for sure. And, but it was so incredible. And it, I mean, this was very raw and, and real. But there is a picture of Bill sitting in the bed with her in her very final moments. My God. And she, she, it was cancer. And she had lost all of her hair. And she didn't, she didn't even look like she used to. And there's Bill with his hands raised, praising God in the midst of it. In the midst of mystery, going, I don't understand. I mean, he hadn't been going, Lord, we don't understand. But we're going to continue believing you and believing in your goodness because of who you are. And he come, came out on the other side of it. She's with Jesus. 
that was not God's best, but she's with Jesus, and they continue to see miracles and healings and things happen. You can't allow your defeats or the place of mystery to determine what you're going to believe in your heart. You have to allow God to determine that. And a real true apostolic people are robust in their faith. And they just live in this place that God is the God of the impossible. And every time you open your eyes up, every day you open your eyes up, you are one day closer to a miracle. You are one day closer to healing in your body. You are one day closer to seeing things that you've only dreamed about, that you've never actually seen, but you will actually see in your lifetime. You're one day closer. That's the, that's the kind of thing that God wants to have reinvigorated into the church. And my whole thing with this, I, we're not supposed to walk around and go, well, we're an apostolic people. If you do that, you miss the whole thing. The whole idea is that we can go back to the, to the pages of, of this book with the early church when it was at its purest, when it was first birthed, and we can say, God, what they had then, I believe you want us to have now, and I'm going to contend for it until I see it. That's the purpose of that, of this. That's, that's why we're after, that's why we talk about these things. Amen. And I love being in a room full of people that you're like, yeah. yeah. I make my voice go deep for dramatic effect. Yeah. <laughs> like that's what, I, that's what I hear when I'm ministering to you, and I, and I love it. That's who we are. That's who, that's who you are. And when, when you get, the more you get hit and inundated with the love of God, the more it will just, I just, some people don't like it when I say this, but I like it. The more it will just mess you up. Because this world has written religion has really messed people's thinking up about God. It's so simple. God's good. The devil's bad. God wants good stuff. Press into God. You'll receive good stuff. It's, it's really simple. It's not complicated. We complicate it a lot of times. And the, the more you get just, just hit with the love of God, revelation from his word, the more you'll get infected with truth. The more you'll get infected with, you can read about it, and then it goes from just something you read on a page to, God, your word is a living word. You're a living God. And it is the same Holy Spirit that dwelt back then and that lived in them that dwells with me now and lives in me now. This is possible. And then when you see your first miracle, you see your first healing, it's all over. It's over. You're ruined. You can't go back. You've crossed the point of no return. I suppose you could lie to yourself and say, well, you know, whatever. But man, when you see an actual healing, miracle, something change, you, you can't go back. Here's Marianne sitting over here. She was having major problems in her body. I don't even know all the stuff. And uh, back, it was in November when Ashley and Carly came here. So I love having guest speakers. Sometimes having a fresh person with fresh perspective and fresh hands and things have totally turned around in, in your body. Totally turned around. Praise God. And anyways, we give testimonies all night tonight, but isn't God good? Man, hallelujah. I, I just, I, you know what? If I'm not going to hear somebody else stir me up by way of reminder of who God is and what his word says, I'm going to stir myself up. But as long as people want to sit and listen to me stir myself up, then you can just join in on it too. See, I'm preaching this for me. I'm really not even preaching it for you. I'm just, no, I'm kidding. I'm here for you. But I'm saying I would preach it for me because we need to hear this. We need to remind ourselves of this. We need to see ourselves different than how we see ourselves. Man. Uh, and I didn't make this last point that I, I want to make this point about this number three point. And then that this is closing number three, so you can't do more than three closings as a preacher. So here it is. It's this balance of having 
a supernatural contentment, and then I'll say it like this, a holy dissatisfaction. So it's like on one hand, we have this contentment with Jesus that he's more than enough. He's not just enough, he's more than enough. He's, if we don't ever see anything for the rest of our lives, we never see one miracle. He never gives us a goosebump or a feeling. What he has done and who he is is more than enough. At the same time, or on the flip side of the coin, or in the other hand, on the other hand, we should live with a dissatisfaction at the current level that we're living at right now. If more is available, then we should be saying, God, help me step into the more that is available. And when you know God loves you, you don't question whether he's the problem. And you know you don't live in condemnation. You don't really question whether you're the problem. You just say, God, increase me. Increase me. Increase my understanding, my wisdom, my revelation, all that good stuff. Amen. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit overcomerschurchinternational.com. Thank you.